0: The RideList app. Download it today for access to a free, easy, and robust rider-to-rider marketplace for your gear. RideList in the App Store on your iPhone. The Boardroom International Surfboard Show, presented by U.S. Blanks, is honoring Australian surfer-shaper Wayne Lynch. In 1967, this young teenager and the shortboard revolution collided, and the result was masterful vertical surfing. In addition to the shaping competition honoring Wayne Lynch, the boardroom also features a massive hall filled with state-of-the-art surfboards, wetsuits, fins, bags, gear, art, and smoke and hot great deals on all of it. Boardroomshow.com. This podcast also presented by the California Gold Surf Auction. The California Gold Surf Auction serves the global audience of premium surfboard and surf memorabilia collectors providing perpetual access to the marketplace. With decades of historical expertise and millions of dollars in sold inventory, California Gold is uniquely positioned to curate, preserve, and share culturally significant surfboards and collectibles. The next auction, Sunday, May 5th, 2019, we've coalesced an exciting selection of rare and unique surfboards and collectibles from around the world for our discerning clientele. Top shelf auction lots on offer in various categories, including ancient wood, Hawaiian guns, pro models, classic longboard, modern classics, and boards and memorabilia representing decades between 1900 to 1990, californiagoldsurfauction.com. And this podcast brought to you by Ranch 45. I visited Ranch 45 for the first time a few weeks ago. It's a restaurant here in Solana Beach, California. Holy cow. No pun intended. I had the tri-tip and eggs breakfast, and it was magnificent. They also served me some of their homemade salsa to go with the potatoes. As I mentioned, it was an incredible meal. We're going to be having a special dinner with Wayne Lynch at Ranch 45 during the boardroom show in May, and it's going to be an intimate and special evening. And We hope some of you can join us. More info on that dinner later on, but I want to tell you, About Ranch 45. They value the source of where their products come from and the community around them. Ranch 45 knows and understands the value of their suppliers. And by knowing their food, Ranch 45 can prepare their dishes in a way that lets that rancher, that fisherman, that farmer shine on your plate. Ranch 45 is an extension of the farms that they use through the food and drink that they serve located on Villa de la Valle in Solana Beach, right across the street from the Del Mar Fairgrounds, do yourself a huge favor and go visit Ranch 45. 858-461-0092, or Google them, Ranch 45 Restaurant. Surfboard shaper and red-hot surfer Dan Mann is intelligent, open-minded, And I think you'll find quite thought-provoking. And he's tough. Not like a UFC fighter tough. I sense that he doesn't let fear dictate to him. After speaking with Dan Mann, I sense that his life experience has offered him opportunities to grow. And Dan Mann seized those opportunities. I've used the phrase, and I quote, most underrated shaper, perhaps because I feel like many of these guys I interview haven't really gotten their due. I've never used the phrase most under-the-radar shaper. The winner of that category might be Dan Mann. After all, he designs and builds cutting-edge custom surfboards for Kelly Slater. He's been one of the main surfboard designers at Firewire for But I bet if I lined up eight blonde-haired surfers of similar age, you'd be hard-pressed to tell me which one was Dan Mann under the radar. The Boardroom Podcast with Dan Mann. Let us begin. Dan Mann, welcome to the Boardroom Show podcast. Can you, you step up pretty close? Step up to the yeah, money. just kind of like that. all right. That's good. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> Got some secret oh. questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me about tell me about the last time you ate fast food. Oh, fast food. It's been a while.
1: Wow. Um, it probably would have been In and Out Burger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know. When was this? This, this was probably sheesh. uh I would say eight years ago, six maybe. Really? Yeah. We had an airport run. It was like, you know, I think I may have caved. Right. <laughs> In and out burger though. It was definitely Airports do that to you, don't well, they? Well, especially when you land late and you've been starving all day. You yeah. Know, and the people picking you up are like, "Hey, we're going in and out," and your kids are like, "Yeah." It's like, ah. Uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> but generally, it sounds like so. If it was six years ago. Yeah. Generally, it sounds like you eat pretty well.
1: Yeah, I stay away from the. Um, lately, I've I've narrowed it down to um, which is where it started for me. The whole foodie thing started for me with a uh, quote from a guy who said, just eat food as close to the source as you possibly can. And I've yeah. just kind of gone around, around. I tried supplements, I uh, like, you know, hippie ones. But yeah. yeah, now it's just like fruits and veggies and just super simple, Yeah, um, like this tea. Yeah. What about meat? I eat meat, yeah. yeah, but I don't, I eat it very sparingly and I try yeah. to get the hoity-toity kind. What do you mean hoity-toity? Um, so like I, not, uh, I try to stay away from anything food lot or a feed lottie ish, you know. So like if I get a piece of red meat, I make sure that, try to make sure that it's um organic or grass-fed or you know, so right. it's done so that it's done the the making of that meat has been honored in some kind of way. Just right. uh, you know, it, yeah. we live in <laughs> Southern California in the sort of the rat race world, it's pretty hard to source that. It really is, it's hard. It's tricky. But uh Every once in a while, I'll stumble across like my good friend's uh, uncle sends out. Sends out he hunts, and mm-hmm. he, so we get sausage, like and things like that. That's like that's real directive. Sort of the Joe Rogan theory of of food. Mm-hmm. If if I could get it to his level, that'd be cool. In what's the, meantime,
0: the What's the Joe Rogan? So love?
1: his whole thing seems to be, as I understand it, he's just kind of going. Well, if I can capture the meat myself ethically, he has way less of a problem with that. And, and, and it's clean food, like nourishing wise, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, get the nourishment. It's possible if you're a vegan or if you're vegetarian, I know it's possible, but in terms of like, you know, what's overall the, the best thing, you know, life eats life, you know? So it's like, you know, at what point are you part of the food chain and not, and all those kinds of things. It's like, if you get into if you get into the ethics of it all it's like I I have gone full circle with all that and kind of thought about it a lot and 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 his deal is life eats life and you need to be nourished and do that pr- process f- the best way for you that you can think of yeah that uh eliminates as much of the sort of monet, you know sort of the the production of it right like and, and that goes for all food so like my son brought up a great point of how You um you know if you if you make if you eat a bunch of vegan stuff but the process is done in a way that's with the mindset of just pure money and and the more 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 attitude right then what's the difference between growing a bunch of almond trees or a or a or a or a feedlot. I mean, there's there's different because yeah. there's different layers of l- life and consciousness and all that stuff. But the mindset that goes behind the Central Valley when you drive through it, it's like, man, whether they're farming or or having cattle, it's like they're both both pretty bad for the environment in terms of and in, in overall the food chain, the overall food chain with yeah that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I yeah. I, I don't I go bouncing around on that stuff. But yeah. the bottom line is for me is I just try to keep real simple food. How? When was the last time you killed an animal? Probably spearfishing, or I, I, I've done a little bit of fishing. I've never done a proper hunt. Right. Yeah. So, so you killed a fish, couple fish. Yeah. <laughs> More than one. I'm a soft, softy. <laughs> we we drove by a rabbit that had just gotten hit, and it wasn't even dead. And I'm all, oh, it makes good soup. I know. I was thinking if you know guys pull over in the Midwest and they throw the deer in the back of the truck. Sure. I was like, man, we you should done that. Well, that
0: is good to eat. It's good, huh? It's kind of buttery. Yeah. Right? Has a nice little sweet thing to it. Yeah, I put That's some right? sugar in it. Oh, okay. It's processed, yeah, Sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> God, <Gosh, laughs> you just ruined my whole deal, yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> so Dan, your dad, I did a little research. He was a Navy SEAL.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it was Frogman. is before it was actually a SEAL, but it's the same deal. And was he in a war? No, he just um missed the when Vietnam was starting to heat up. His his brother got Chipped out there twice on a second run. He got he got taken out,
0: but wow. um, but yeah, he was he he just missed any serious war stuff. So he came in as a frogman like in nineteen seventy one or no sixty one. So, oh, before oh, so he, was was he was done. He was done being a frogman, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was. He, I think he did the four years.
1: So I think it's a uh, four year minimum OCS that kind of thing.
0: He was out. I think he's out by sixty five, and then was reserves. And that. and did. Did he have any interesting tales or is that something that he keeps close yeah, to? Yeah,
1: no, he has some interesting tales. He was he was real interested in the training. You know, he he's uh real big on working out. Yeah. And and uh so he had he was real big on that. He was really big on the camaraderie and the and the crew factor. Um he watches we still live in the coronado and that's what how he was familiar with coronado is that's where all the training is. <clears throat> and so he he, he likes yeah. I remember him telling stories about the training aspect in the. How it used sort- to be way harder. Yeah, way was way harder back in the day. We'd get way colder, you know, and, uh, and things. But see, he the the sort of the metaphysical or the spiritual side of things that happen when you go into those deep states, oh, yeah. phys- go real deep physically, mm, how it true. happens spiritually or yeah. mentally, you know, on a different kind of conscious. That's stuff. interesting. It's fun. Yeah, he gets into that stuff, and and that's does what he
0: happens. use the word spiritual?
1: not really yeah i guess that'd be my word he he's um but he definitely like he goes boy there's nothing like a good workout there's you know he it's a spiritual thing for him but i don't know if he would use that exactly right yeah that's a good question Hmm. but yeah he's have you
0: ever had an inkling as a kid going hey i want to be like my dad i want to be a seal was there a time when you were like because you mean you grew up in coronado you were right next to it
1: yeah we were inundated by it friends were doing it um it was a natural progression, I think, especially for my brother who played water polo. Those guys oh, yeah. would go into it heavy. Um, I thought about it for a little bit um, when I was, like, probably 20 and I had no idea what the hell to do with yeah. my life. And I was barely making it through college. I was like, well, I think I'll finish this, but then then what the hell will I do? And um, it, I felt like, you know, with his, his experience in it... Um, uh, it sounded interesting. I really liked it. But I, I, again, I, he also, um, he didn't, I don't know if you'd want to admit it too much, but he, he's not into the whole war thing, the killing right. thing. And right. and those guys, you'd have to be,
0: be yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: and I ultimately, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I, I'd be into the workout. I'd be into the uh, learning about myself and, and having a crew, like uh, guys that, I mean, the, the, one of the things that book uh, Tribe talks about, Sebastian Junger, is it? That, uh-huh, and yeah. he he um, talks about the importance as a human. Uh, how important it is to have a tribe and have dudes that you know, have your back and you know, you have theirs. And that kind of sensation is something I was kind of yearning for. It's still yearning for. Oh,
0: that's fascinating. Um, that so was, was tribe about seals or just about no, other fellowships, other kinds of exactly.
1: But, but one of the main examples he used were how guys in the army or wherever would yearn and miss the days of when they were in at war. Right. And they, in that camaraderie that was coming from their group of 20 to 30 you know, platoon mates. Right. And they're like, man, you know, they come back to society where it's safe and it's nice and it's rosy and you can go to that burger. <laughs> but they're like, man, actually, I'd rather eat an MRE and and be so – a lot of those guys were missing that camaraderie yeah. when, once they got
0: away from it. And you said that you might be missing it or that you wish – you do you have some sense that you don't have a tribe?
1: Well, no, I, I feel like I do. But then, but then at, at times, yeah, you, you – you know, like the, you bring up the food thing. That's a that's a um, that's a a funny subject because even with my family and friends, it, you you get this thing where it's like almost like a politics. You know, it's like, well, hey, you know, it's like, what's the big deal, everybody? You know, I'm just trying to eat what's right, and I hey, if you want to, like another thing I don't do is drink, and uh, and I, I've never I never have as a kid and everything, and that was like alienating too. So, you know, finding. Like like-minded people and stuff like that on all levels is something I I feel like is going around. I don't think I'm alone on that. No, and I, I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean,
0: man is naturally a social right. person. I mean, we we became social so that we could group up and, and fight thrive. the dinosaurs. Right. So you know? like, it's a, it's totally part of our DNA. Yeah, it is. And
1: and and that's what that tribe book introduced to me on a s- human bag of meat cellular level. We like crew.
0: Do you find? true in the surf world
1: i do at times but a lot of times no and as i get older um you'd rather the, be y- solid, solid uh, well it's so like a paradox
0: it's, it's super paradoxical. Contradiction. Yeah, contradiction yeah,
1: right? yeah yeah because like yesterday we surfed this secret spot in la jolla by the, <laughs> by the pier there yeah right. and uh, i was like holy crap man and it was fine you know yeah. and that's what's cool about getting older i was with a friend of mine who's you know, we, we like you, gr- you can look grousey yeah. and <laughs> you can get, look at naturally. Yeah. You just get a salty guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can get your ways and everything. It was fine. Yeah. But it was just like, you know, did I have anything? There was one guy, you know, it was like, you kind of know, you go, Hey, what's up? You know, and you kind of know yeah. that both of you have been surfing for a long time. And, yeah. but then there's a lot of guys who are that, that mystery age of 20 to 30 and, you know, are you know.
0: All they're all so, all the yeah, we're, they're all in <laughs> there who pay my
1: bills, and I'm like, oh geez, you know, I can't, you know, it's it's talking about paradox, you know, so yeah, it's interesting. but yeah, so to to be able to fully really, I don't think as something gets bigger, like surfing or if you're in baseball or whatever, I in the military, like you're not going to find the tribe in that whole group, you're going to find the tribe in a little fragment of it because right. your tribe is only as they talk about in that book your tribe is, isn't a whole big number your tribe is a small number like your inner circle is meant to only be 20 yeah. 30 people and and uh and that's something that i take real seriously and it's like okay yeah i can go be you know happy surfer shaper dude dan man out there but what's really going on there's only a few people who really know
0: yeah. you know and so is your tribe your family cuz i would imagine yeah. your wife's probably part of your tribe oh, and yeah. your son is probably Right, and you yep. have a daughter, have a daughter, yeah. And your father is he still with us? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, good. yeah. He's good. cruising. Um, yeah, he's he's cruising a little too hard. It's like, God, Dad, is that your tribe? I mean, is yeah. The, I mean, can we replace? I guess. Yeah, no, no. I don't
1: even think you do replace it. I think family is a, an extent, or your tribe is an extension of your family. Is kind of how I see it, because you know, if, uh, luckily for me, I had a really close, especially as I was
0: young. I had a tight knit family. It was, it was tight. So those guys that go off to war at age twenty-two, obviously they're not married, they don't have family yet. So they are the ones that are really like identifying and are drawn towards their mates that they're basically have their back. And right. They-
1: and I and I would I would say if they were lucky enough to have a good growing up family, they would they were looking to extend that and right. go. Okay, what else? You know, there's five, four, three, two people. Okay, now what? I need to get that number up. I need to know that there's more people out there. You know, get it up around thirty, twenty. You know, yeah. so
0: that's why are really the extension? Do you think that's an extension of your tribe? Is guys that you surf with in Coronado?
1: Yeah, there would be a f- couple of them, couple not of many, eyes. but there's a few. And then, and yeah, but there's there's this like my my good. He's, he used to be my neighbor, and now was that was something uh, that's really. It's, he's a great example of of someone who yeah, I don't even have to see him that much or talk to him. Right. He can't. He barely can use his iPhone. But <laughs> he's he uh, he's a classic guy. He's grew up in that. Um, the the uh, he was he lived adjacent to me for about fifteen years, and we moved, and he's still there. But his name's Tom, and he's one of those guys that, man, if you're in a pinch. What in the ocean or if you're on land or whatever, he's one of those dudes that just have it figured. They'll figure it out and it, he'll, he'll not stop until he figures it out. And if he, if, if that's in defense of you or helping you or you needing to help him, it, it, it's he's, there's guys like that. One of them just passed. There was another guy. Yeah. About was a year that Stan? Ago. Stan yeah. yeah.
0: I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, he was he one of was the guys. really a pinch, yep. a, a figurehead down Big there. Big time. And quite a, um, a guy that put himself out for the community and for mm-hmm. the young surfers in Coronado. Yep. And he
1: was doing that. He's only eleven years older than me. And uh he did that for me when I was when I was young. I he got me he helped me with the chart house. I was probably already gonna work at the chart house. I started out dishwashing and working salad bar and all that stuff. Yeah. But then he he's recognized we had a good time at the chart house and then got he got me into lifeguarding. And the lifeguarding deal, the way he did it, was very, very punk rock, super like, you know. Very much water, Manny. Yeah, as you you know, it's, yeah. very, it's cliche, but it, but without any claiming it, riding whatever board you need to ride, it's short board, long board, whatever it is. He he was the first guy. He and his brother both um, introduced the uh, the concept of like paddling from Coronado. We can paddle out to Point Loma and. Catch ways out on the tip there, and and they were doing that with other Cornell guys. And uh, Point Loma guys would come down and around and and they would not have a boat and they'd use giant boards, yeah. 12 footers to get out there and surf them and then could paddle back. That kind of concept was planted wow. into me by guys like him. Radical, pretty cool. I and mean, you've done that,
0: oh, yeah, you've paddled from the island. I across. cheat though, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I use a <laughs> big, start I, <laughs> I use a nice paddle board and tow my board, so uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean a stand up paddle board? No, no, prone, uh-huh. yeah and have you ever seen any um, submarines or anything radical like when you're making that cross that crossing across yeah the- i
1: mean there's there's a ton of boats submarines yeah they they see you probably i think way before you could ever right. I mean, obviously see them yeah. but the big the big um, crossing the bay i would paddle to work we we're, the old restaurant i would work in is uh, the Rowing Club Chart House it was right underneath the Convention Center. Right. So we, I could paddle from Coronado there a lot. Not wow. a lot, but you know, yeah. every once in a, while. And a couple times out, got a little hairy coming back at night. But oh but But uh, yeah, most of the time it's you know, boaters are on it. They 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 see and they're
0: they're looking out for themselves. So yeah. So, um, I understand that you you lived on Maui as a kid, mm-hmm. and then you moved to Coronado when you were twelve. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where you sort of, sort of got your feet wet, mm-hmm. pun intended, regarding surfing. Right. Mm-hmm. So you started to. You didn't surf when you were on Maui.
1: No, I did. So I had a one thing you missed. There was a layover in um, Duxbury, Massachusetts, really near Boston. So your dad was shipped out there. He, he shipped himself and us out there. He he was he was restaurants um, when I when, since I was born he was all restaurants. Before that, he, oh I see. He went Navy. <clears throat> a short stint in corporate America. And then he got was he, he
0: in the, did he go to the Naval Academy?
1: So he, no, he went to Tulane okay. uh, in Louisiana mm-hmm. and um, yeah, his upbringing was uh real hoity toity East coast. Right. And he was the only guy in his private high school that he didn't go to an Ivy league. He went to Tulane oh. <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of, beginning of his sort of hmm. rebellious, you know, like yeah. path. And uh, so, yeah, he he went to OCS, which is, uh, officer, like officers training school. Yeah. Yeah, Candidate Mm -hmm. school. And then, and then got in through the seal team. Wasn't nearly as fashionable. Then everyone was wanting to be pilots and he, and he swam, he was always a swimmer and, um, really a good swimmer strong. And, and he went, Oh, it's just running and swimming. If you go this thing, his buddy had gone one year ahead of him. And he's, Oh, this is what we want to do. Get the, get the box checked for, uh, the, Service to the nation, kind of a thing, because mm-hmm. it was also uh, the recruitment days. So that, he, so he went there, and then he went to uh, what he was supposed to do with uh, corporate America, and then he hated it. Yeah. Got, and then he found Punahou on Oahu as a. They were hiring teachers, and he's like, "Well, he had just enough school that they back then. He knew, he knew Peter Cole and all these oh, cool. cool guys, and very good. That." Sh- sh- he kept in touch also with his Navy guys, who were the same guys who <clears throat> uh, started Chart House, and he knew this guy Ron Smith, mm-hmm. who was starting Chart House with Buzzy Ben. Well, he he didn't start it, but Buzzy Ben and Joey Cabell started it. Yeah, and then they knew Ron, and so my dad knew Ron oh, cool. and, and got in that way, and then John Creed and that kind of thing, and that right. started his restaurant world started to supplement income from Punahou teaching, okay, at, on weekends and nighttime. And then uh, that was, and then he ended up doing chart house, opening up the Lahaina chart house on Maui, and that was right when I was born. I was born in L.A. Redondo, and then three months old. But they, when I was three months old, my sisters were older. We, we moved to Lahaina, Maui, wow. and okay. then, um, yeah, and then that was, that was my first ten years of life, and then eighty, yeah, eighty, whatever, three or two. We we went to Duxbury, and then back to back to california so that the reason that boston thing's important for me is is uh i could windsurf out there but i couldn't surf really right and um and having surfing taken away from me Ooh. made me go oh, okay that's what i really 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 love and i there was a stint where i missed like two days of surfing for like four years i, I surfed every single day yeah right, for a while there because it had been taken it was taken right yeah that's powerful yeah it was a big deal yeah Yeah, for me yeah so that was fun
0: um so you started surfing i mean hardcore hardcore when you you came back to coronado when you came to coronado and um, just turning 13 right and and what kind of boards were you riding who were what were you what was your gear like what was your typical day like you weren't surfing on the island oh yeah coronado
1: yeah it's junk bad but no one around Yeah. yeah My dad said he's all a, hey, but if you can learn how to surf here, you can learn you can surf anywhere, right. and that's true. Um, there's there's a sp- there's a couple spots where it's always closed out, but you, you can learn how to ride the tube pretty yeah. good there. Yeah. It's always close out, but yeah. um, so I was riding a Sammy Gill I bought at Mitch's uh, Solana Beach. Okay, right. I saved up my money yeah. that summer working at my dad's restaurant and. Um, bought it for 150 bucks right. and it had a glass on side fins with a, uh, small bane center box. Right. And so luckily it was felt fine where that fin was. So I didn't have to mess with that. And uh, I surfed that uh, for a long time. I had a single fin before that, but as we literally pulled into town, the fin got ripped off by the low garage. <laughs> so I went and bought the, I was, I'd been planning on buying a thruster. I need a thruster bad. I was yeah. going to die if I didn't yeah. get a thruster. So this is a Sammy Miguel and,
0: Muscle through that first winter. I had horrible wetsuits and just didn't have the right gear. So I imagine once you turned sixteen, you 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 got a car and it allowed you to kind of venture beyond. Yeah, Coronado. And I was working at nights uh, at at the restaurants, so and I had cer- some cash. And, and certainly you were you were surfing Point Loma, probably. Yeah,
1: So. I, it, it, there's another spot south. I think Stu mentioned it. We'd go there. Mexico, we go. I'd go to Max a lot. That yeah. was back in the day where you could go to Mexico and just get a couple tacos and come back. I know. It was I, easy. Well, yeah. We would go yep. and come back. It's just fun. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing. That was a big deal. Going to Max was a big deal. Um, and that, but yeah. W- uh, again, I could get rides up to Cardiff because that's where the headquarters at Solana Beach was where our right. chart house was. It. So I'd go Which up there. Which is where the
0: Kelly Center wave pool Yeah,
1: is. no, They're in the same yeah, office. It's so building. ironic. Yeah. yeah I, I walked by it the other day. I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. yeah so that same exact building. And then, uh, yeah. We'd go to La Jolla a lot, but then C- Cardiff Reef a lot. I'd spend a lot of time at George's and Cardiff Reef. Yeah. And then uh, Sunset Cliffs, yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. And, you know, at some point... Um, a lot of people, and myself included, know you as a as a paddling champion, mm. a long distance prone paddling champion, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a. I mean, that's kind of a fast forward, but in twenty fifteen. Yep. So tell me a little bit about your paddling career and what got you going, and and what sort of culminated in your Catalina Classic. Yeah, so victory. that was. Um, well, I was. It was
1: twenty something years in the making to finally win it. But <laughs> I, right. I, I was nineteen.
0: Um, and I wanted to do something hard like my dad had. Well, you were a lifeguard too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you had that in you. So there's mm-hmm. there's that, and then yeah, your dad. Was- he had
1: done marathons. I wanted to do something hard like that, but I was like, God, shine a marathon. Am I allowed to swear? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Can
0: I keep it. There's a cuss jar. Uh, <laughs> you, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna put a dollar every. I time wanted to do something them. hard.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, and and I was
1: I was I remember the night real clearly and as I remember it. It was clear and. Um, uh, a friend of my dad who worked for the chart house. His name is Roy. He said, he he had talked about doing the Catalina, and and my dad had talked about him talking about it. And, and so I was like, you know, I mean, instead of running a marathon, I could just do a long paddle. And I and I like you said, I'd been. This the, Roy Breen. Roy Breen.
0: Yeah, he's quite a paddler. Yeah, this yeah. He's no, legendary he, paddler. Yeah, he'd
1: done, I don't know if he won Catalina, but he's gotten second. He's on the trophy. Yeah. So, yeah. and he's, you know, he knows a lot of those guys. And oh, he yeah. introduced me to Velzy. and oh, cool. So it was super cool. And yeah. then he also, well, we got to know Mike Eaton that way too, uh, through paddling.
0: So, in many ways, your paddling thing was sort of an, uh, I mean, you kind of backdoored it into a bunch of legendary shapers. Yeah, right, right exactly. I mean, I, Eaton's That's on good point. my list of guys that must oh, have been a mentor for huge. you.
1: Huge. He was a yeah. really important. Uh, he, he was really important from creativity uh, beyond surfing, bring, uh, surfboards and bringing them back into surfboards because he's way into gliders. He's way into boats. He's a sailor. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just like if you get too fixated, especially as a design guy, you're going to stay stuck. And yeah. so he was hugely influential. Influential. In that regard, so was Felsey. Felzy was rad. And he was so punk rock. He was crazy. So man. classic. He was a funny guy. Yeah. So the, all that was really I, like now. I, I knew then I was lucky and uh, to know these guys, and now I really know how lucky I am. So, but yeah. So you,
0: when did you start paddling? In like 2000 thousand? Nineteen.
1: Or no, I was I was, ni- I was nineteen years old. So it was nineteen. My first Catalina was nineteen ninety two. Uh, or no, nineteen ninety one. And and Petey Johnson was in, he got second. Uh, Jeff Stoner won it. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Jeff Stoner got second. P.D. Johnson got third, and this guy Brennan Shea, who's a North Island North uh, Shore lifeguard, came over and won it on a stock that year, it was 19, yeah. 1991. I was just laughing at you guys. And he just—it was super <laughs> shitty conditions. Bump up.
0: Oh, well, isn't gone. it? No, it's okay. You can guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. Isn't it always shitty conditions? It like, is I've almost never, always. I've never heard of good conditions. But still,
1: though, to win it on a stock board—I mean, it was—it was bad. But it, I mean, sh- like south wind. It was like no straight at your nine o'clock, straight oh, west oh, that oh, channel wind. Oh. And you're on a compass. If you look at Catalina, the course is Catalina Isthmus, two harbors, straight due zero
0: north uh, uh, to Manhattan to Beach. Yeah, Manhattan that's Beach. the hard part. That last seven miles, right? Yeah, isn't that the brutal kind of like? Yeah, well, usually I mean, by I've then the wind's that. kicking I don't know. in. I don't. Yeah,
1: usually by then the wind's kicking in. But then, but so you get this weird uh, eddying wind that comes around the island on the south side. So mm. on the, I'm sorry, on the north side. So it's coming on your left shoulder. And it, it gets, I mean, it's just awful. It's like it, you'd much rather have a headwind. Right. Uh, you know, so that year that wind stayed, it turned on and never went away. Mm. It got a little glassy towards the end, uh, at, right off the R10, but then it kicks back up. So Brennan just hammered. I mean, that was right. nuts. Like to beat Jeff Stoner, who won it a couple years later, um, and Petey Johnson, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so that was my first year. I got 14th, eight hours and. 14 minutes I, I I was so messed up man I oh had to sit up and eat sandwiches and I was just like holy crap that that I you know that you maybe was, didn't realize what you no into. had no idea yeah. you know I the at the 10 mile buoy that I saw the buoy I'm all is that it's got to be the 20 mile buoy and my dad like, oh, 10 mile man and I'm like, oh crap yeah are you
0: have the opinion that the rock the rocks actually a better race because you don't have to do that last mentally yeah probably
1: yeah but, but, but again, you know, the paradox of life, you know, the real thing you need to do is suffer, you know, right. and, uh, and, and go, what you really need to do is do the one that's messed up. Right. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think we all have a lot to gain by doing that, but that's my, just my opinion. But yeah. That, and then the next year I got third and I'm like, Oh, I'm actually kind of fast. You know, I could well, figure how, it out. What
0: was the time on that? That was
1: six Oh four. With much better conditions, way better conditions. Yeah. And, and I had a, Really good board. Eaton was making boards. Maybe you had
0: trained, and and
1: I knew what I was getting myself into more. At
0: this point, had you wasn't it you and somebody else that developed this Catalina race? I mean the Coronado race.
1: Yeah. So loop was uh, the loop race. We started in I think ninety six or seven. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was and and, and I still, my wife would kill me,
0: but I'm thinking about doing it again this year. It'd it'd be twenty. It'd be our twenty second. And was that sort of like, hey, let's do this race; it'll be fun. Plus, it's great training. It was
1: perfect timing because we do it like mid-May, yeah. and you want to be about that's eleven-mile course, and you want to be about that stage. Yeah. But uh, if you're getting ready for Catalina, or you're 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 gonna hurt during yeah. the loop and and get your ass kicked enough to know, yeah, okay, I need to start really paddling hard. But it gives you a couple months to yeah. Back then, like now, guys train year round. They really kick it in hard in January. And it's like, holy crap. But it's it's a different kind of deal now. But it's pretty ragtag and still pretty cool. It's a yeah. really good sport. It's yeah. really, I call it the last great sport, you know.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. There's no money in it. Yeah. It's just brutal. And there's, you know, three or four people that make boards. And, you know, it's just, yeah. it's really pretty fun. And it's only, you know, it's mono y mano, you know, there's no subjectivity. You go and you do it and you yeah. either the guy or don't you know? yeah
0: that's pretty cool simple it is good true sport yeah it? true um so i mean we're looking at 96 97 98 you've created along with somebody else the the coronado loop mm-hmm. yep i know that at this point you're already shaping surfboards right yeah yeah so 90 96 is when i started that okay so tell me a little bit about your shaping history like who, wh- who did you learn from who where did you know, you sort of cut your chops. How did you cut your chops? Yeah.
1: So I cut my chops and I, again, I, it's another deal looking back. I'm super stoked on how it all worked out. But, um, so Stu, uh, so at the time I was surfing for rusty, um, they wanted to develop their longboard program. And I was, I did all right on a couple contests and I guess I was considered pro, but I made like a hundred bucks, but rusty was nice enough to help me out with boards. And I, um, I had known I'd been getting boards from Stu before that when he Stu Kenson. Stu Kenson, I'm sorry oh, yeah and uh Evening Glass it was his brand and then he started doing some boards with Rusty and so it worked out that we were all kind of together there and um I th- I thought well I have no idea what I'm going to do for my work in life but I just knew I wanted to own my own business and I saw how shapers just, you know, as businessmen were horrible. I'm off. I bet you I could be a
0: smart businessman. And so were learned, you pulling together your bills through working at the chart house? Yeah. Chart house and lifeguarding. And, and so. was your father kind of going, Dan, what's going on? No, like, he your, was like, like he, he no, he's
1: no, he's like, you'll figure it out. Yeah. He didn't even no. Nah. Yeah. My mom was a little different. She's a little more pragmatic, but right. he was like the first thing I graduated from state in 96 and he goes first thing whatever you do don't go get a real job that's what he said right. and go figure out some shit first you know right. and uh I was like oh I took that to heart I was I'll like, go, cool. I'll go surfing <laughs> <laughs> It's exactly what I did I go, went on trips and stuff like that and then uh but then I thought, well, I, I was really – I was excited to go to work. And so I, I made a 12-foot Redwood board from Redwood at Home Depot that I glued – That was your first that board? That was my first board, yeah. 12-foot Redwood. Modeled after a Phil Edwards 11-footer. Really? I took a template off of a Phil Edwards single fin. Wow. From like 65. My dad still has that board. Wow. And uh, so anyway, that – I was like, you know, just, just start – Proper. Let's do it how they started. You know how (laughs) everyone else started. Tom Blake down a tree. I I know. If I cheated, I totally cut. (laughs) So I did that. But then right after, I was okay. Stu, I I told Stu what I was up to, and he's like, "Yeah, you can use my room," but he would get in about ten or eleven, so I could wake up early and go shape. And so I shaped a couple absolute propellers. I mean, and right away, I thought my I thought my edge would be uh, being answering my phone like i all i thought was i'd hit deadlines service guys who want boards by answering my phone and hitting deadlines i thought that'll be my in and that's how so customer service customer service i'd suck at shaping but i'll I'll be good at that stuff and i and i kind of held true to that um because i did suck
0: i sucked at shaping when you say you you made some absolute propellers is that a is that a derogatory term yes. to, to shape a propeller? Is yeah. That like, well, yeah, because that. it's all twisted and oh, shitty. I it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's it. Stu calls a propeller. Okay, interesting. I, I can't wait to get my yeah. next stew. <laughs> I might have. Well, right.
1: No, if you make a bad one, it's a propeller. I, I
0: know. That's, that's what I'm saying. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is kind of looking like a propeller, man.
1: So, the, um, but yeah, and then luckily a couple friends wanted boards, and it kind of just kept going and going and going, and then got married in in 98 and um boy you know there's there's business opportunities that were kind of coming up but it was like bad it was real job stuff and i was like oh and so um but my my shaping was kind of going all right restaurant work was fine you make good cash and then lifeguarding was really good i i was starting by then i was instructing at the um there's a regional lifeguard academy that was starting up about then. Mm-hmm. And I was in there with San Diego lifeguards and different guys and right. getting paid pretty good. And so financially I was all right, but I wanted, I had ambition. I wanted to do cool stuff yeah. and shaping was getting pretty cool. But then I realized, well, okay, so I want to control the glassing. I want to, I didn't want, I, Oh, that cut and chops. I was, Stu's room, but the footnote here is, is uh, was it diamond, right? The old days of Miramar yeah and uh and so man i mean if i've been you can there. imagine <laughs> if a rail is
0: off or oh, yeah. you know
1: the template on the tail is which side that? do you like better you
0: know <laughs> i mean you have some characters in there yeah not, not the least of which is bob Oh yeah exactly and i think probably hank warner yeah. and probably john keyes yeah. and Stu, and, yeah, and, Knuckles, and jeff myers running that. through yep. there oh yeah
1: so it was really cool and then uh It was brutal. Some
0: legendary laminators in there. Oh yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. All all those guys were there. And so, um, Wade Largent with Santa. Right. Um, anyway, that, that was cool. And then, and then I, I wanted, but I wanted to, um, I, that, uh, sort of entrepreneurial spirit or kind of enterprising spirit. I was like, man, I I really want to just kind of control things more on the side of, of controlling my destiny with it. And I, I knew you had to understand and, the glassing and and uh preferably control the glassing so i bought a glass shop uh off this guy brian jones and he was he owned fiberglass unlimited i think it was called and uh he was done burnout and and i ended up making a pre-smoking deal buying his business off him with a crew already in place Mm -hmm. doing good work and so um we for pennies Grabbed it. My wife and I put all our savings into it. And she was teaching, yeah. and uh, so we we bought that in two thousand and one, uh, four months after my son was born. So you got health care through your wife? Con- no, yeah. For for we had it for another half a year. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. kinda. It's behind every successful man
1: is, a, is an incredibly strong. Exactly, woman. It sounds like your wife deserves but she some credit was here, big time, because she did all the books and you know handled oh, wow. all the stuff that I I suck yeah. at, at the money and the numbers and all that stuff. I was I bowed out, and she would she would do handle all that stuff, payroll, oh, wow. taxes. She she would do all our taxes, she, so we wouldn't have to hire an accountant all that kind of stuff. Wow. She and her dad would do it. Good for her.
3: It was cool.
1: So that was in two thousand and one, and then, um, then I but r- right around then I was like, okay, you know. The we would always answer the phone. That was our deal, and so we we ended up getting big accounts. We got Rusty and Channel Islands the following two thousand and two spring on the same day. We're back wow. both accounts. It was huge. Out of the blue, or no, you know no. I was, I, was I, I knew a friend, a good friend, was friends with Scott Anderson at Channel right, Islands, right. and so he they he made the intro, which was you know, really nice of them. And then Scott's was nice enough to give me a shot. Cool. And we, we did okay on them and enough to get another 10. Right. And, uh, they were growing so fast and going yeah. so huge then. And then, and then about six months later, Al gave me a shot on shaping a few. Oh, cool. So I did a bunch of flyers and the fish tails that they had. And, uh, the single fin, the Machado single fin, I forget mm-hmm. the name yeah. of that one, but yeah. water hogs, I would shape all the kind of, yeah, the less sexy stuff. Uh huh. Which was great for me. It was, you know, fast and dirty money. So that supplemented the business. And then I realized right around 2003, I'm all, you know what? This is all kind of not what it's crapped up to be. We'd we'd do big numbers on volume sales. Like our our gross would be close to a million bucks a year. But we'd have zero money. We'd owe money. We'd be like, how is this business possible, you know? So that was when I started realizing you really got to get an understanding of new ways of doing things and new processes and new materials and all that stuff. So that's when my uh, passion for that two thousand probably halfway through two thousand and two three kind of timeline. I, I got into <laughs>
0: EPS and is this when the inside blank started to develop? No,
1: that was a little later. That, that was maybe th- after the Clark foam thing. Yeah, that yeah. was two thousand and
0: yeah six or seven. Six or seven. seven mm-hmm. Yeah. So I interrupted. I didn't mean. Oh, that's were, okay. Yeah, no.
1: And so those alternative processes and materials really started kind of took my attention and I went, you know, you, yeah, the business and being good customer services is really important and I can do that, but you can also hire people to do that. And you got to really dive hard and deep into the world of, uh, creativity. And, uh, as my kids were born and I was looking at them going, you know, that what they really need to do. And so I, I, And I was getting hurt. Like I I was literally – the day uh, 2005 when Clark closed up, we had all this crazy, crazy things going on with my shop too at the same time. And I was physically on all fours. I I could not walk because of my back. And I had all all these health issues from the repetitive movement, the just toxicness of the boards itself and the – just the work and stress and lifestyle of it yeah. all was just literally killing me. Like I was hurting. I was overweight ish kind of, yeah. and it's just swollen. I was just hurting. I couldn't yeah. move. I was starting yoga. And I started that. That's about when I started really digging into food. Yeah. And, um, and then I, but at the same time, I had a whole shifting of, of what I thought was important. and And, and it ended up being in creativity and, getting almost eccentric almost to the point where i screw customer service i'm going to be eccentric i'm going to be so focused and determined on creating and
0: uh and uh, what does that mean like what's the manifestation of the creativity like Just stupid outlines or like yeah little... no
1: yeah whatever yeah. like for me it was initially material like and, and understanding okay i would shape this board i'd shape it twice I shaped as closely as I could to each to replicating yeah. two boards, one out of EPS, one out of polyurethane. Oh, interesting. Put two different sets of materials on them, chart it all and yeah. see what. And then, holy shit, when you ride this one, it is so much more like this and so much more like the other one, so much more like that. Yeah. And starting to really be able to create my own database of understanding as a shaper, builder, and uh, uh, surfer. So those three things going together to create my path forward and out of this mess of working your butt off, and and uh, and not having anything to show for it. So by combining the creativity, the ability to surf, all right, and 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 shaping and and adding the new element of material. Everyone's and even still, I would argue, people are still stuck in the mindset of okay, polyurethane or stringers or whatever it is, whatever yeah. material, or even if it is EPS, you can't be stuck. The surfers lazy uh you know i think humans are looking for their um the comfort and the safety of mm-hmm. like and so as as a human a shaper would be like god man i gotta do what pays the bills yeah. i gotta do what will enable me to go surf the next day or yeah. whatever and you kind of got to resist that you got to do the hard miles you got to do the things that make you uncomfortable and for me that was learning how to laminate for learning how to sand learning how to vacuum bag Learning how to do thin an install and weird
0: bottoms or whatever. Let me stop you right there and ask you because you've done this experiment. This show is brought to you in part by the RideList app. It's fast, it's free, it's easy. It's a robust rider to rider marketplace for your gear. The RideList app you can get in the App Store on your iPhone. Again, it's free. You should download it today. I'm looking right now and I see here a pretty killer snowboard a 157 Bluebird snowboard. It's only been used once for 150 bucks. Two different snowboard boots. Brand new Vans boots for 80, brand new Vans boots for 65. Here's a brand-new homeschool snowboard jacket for $70. And the deal of the day on RideList, there's a chemistry surfboard, Jason Bennett-shaped for $150. The guy wrote, I'm too big for this board. I have new ones on the way, and I won't use this, so I'm looking to find someone who would get some good use out of this. Only $150. It looks basically brand-new. I think it has one or two little pressure dings on the deck. $150 for this chemistry. There are a bunch of great deals on the RideList app. Do yourself a favor, download the app, scroll around. You can find mountain—excuse bo- uh, me—you can find mountain bikes, you can find camera equipment, you can find surfboards, you can find snowboard gear. There's some stand-up paddle boards on here. All sorts of cool stuff. You shape this one board the same, and one's EPS and one's poly. Mm. What's the difference between the poly and the EPS?
1: So there's other variables too. That with that does the does the EPS have a stringer? What pound stringer? Right. What what pound? But in general, is it? but generally think, can, is, speaking, can
0: you be general?
1: Yeah, no, you can. I'd say, by and large, I've settled. Right now, I'm settling in on just uh, for for repeatability, two pound EPS with a vacuum bag skin inside. Nope, I, I haven't been able to do that in a cost effective way right. lately. So. Right. I haven't done that, but but just straight EPS, and then putting the emphasis on the structure and the performance in the skin, neutralizing the. By the way,
0: I speak of the inside blank technology mm-hmm. that you created, which is this carbon composite or yes, like this a carbon, snowboard
1: inside the blank. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like
0: a, a middle, like a, a like a vertebrae almost yeah. that runs throughout the board. Yeah, so yeah. I just wanted to listen. To no, it. that's
1: cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I that was like mm-hmm. that was my peak like i thought i'd skin the cat on that yeah. like, wow this is brilliant and no one it commercially it was a total flop but
0: well people, but anyway, people it's funny because you were let me cons, let's just continue with it because i was asking you about the difference between so you've settled yeah. on two pound eps with an emphasis bag. on the on the
1: process of vacuum bagging so that you can add and subtract layers of different types of composites to get different uh-huh. different feelings and different hardness and kind of like type.
0: what javier's doing a little bit um, I,
1: I, I don't, I don't, um, I stick to EPS, not extruded Right. Right. Okay? And then right, I, mean, I don't know if he's is... vacuum bagging
0: the skins. I the don't know glass. if he is either, but he's anyway, I don't want to interrupt you. How to yeah, get... so, so the it's... difference between poly and EPS and what are you Yeah.
1: So if, it, so in other words, if you can get the glass, and when I say skin, I mean the glass, like the, the outer shell that makes it hard, like an eggshell. If you can control that and add its strength, which would also make it more stiff. If you can bring that factor of its flexibility and hardness up or down independent of the weight of the finished product. So you can make the board heavier light independent of how it is built. So it may, it's separating the structure and the uh, the weight. So you can manipulate and control the weight and you can manipulate and control the structure independently of each other. Right. Traditionally, you, you know, if you want to make a board that doesn't break, you have to get a polyurethane with a 316 stringer and glass at six four and six, and then it'll cross your fingers. Right. And it's like, no, you need to be able to have more control over your performance element and your weight. Perform- weight's a huge factor. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I kind of like got got slapped in me in my, in my face when I'd make these two different material boards with mm-hmm. the same shape. you would be like, it was so obvious to me. That if you got on the pu in certain surf, it, it was great. And if what, you got what kind of surf? Punchy, big, you know, drawn out lines. Why do
0: you think the pu was good? in it that? it was
1: fine because it, it, the wave was providing you everything you needed to get to get speed and 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 uh, and you would you would have control. And but then, but was but it like a
0: dampening. That it the was a damp. Made? I thought
1: so. That's how it's I a little took softer. it. Softer. Yeah, it was. It was more. Um, Predictable, mm-hmm. more more uh, stuck to the wave feeling. Mm-hmm. Separating the board out and making it this crazy lively fluttery almost like thing. <clears throat> guys, like you know, guys that are on the north shore. They go, oh no, no, you need pu because you need to be. Otherwise, it's too floppy. I, I think we're getting the terminology mixed up. I think it's what we're feeling is is true, but we're not putting the right words to it. And so, um. There's ways to, if you go back and you, you take that concern that people have of the polyurethane and big surf and go, I don't want an EPS in big surf. Well, hang on, because you can take the EPS and you can, because you can build the skin independent and the structure of it independently of its weight, you can make a really st- structurally sound product um, and still keep it lightweight. So, whenever guys have said, Oh, this sport's too light for big, good surf. I say yeah, maybe, but it also may be just not structurally sound. It may be just too flimsy, right. and so you're what you're feeling is something that's shitty and flimsy, not actually light. Right. And so, like Kyle Lenny's riding guns that are half the weight of other guys out, surfing jaws, and he's, he look what he's doing, man. He's it's light falling from yeah, the top. Exactly. Like, like, so like, it's I don't like, think you
0: want to be doing that. Though. I haven't <laughs>
1: seen those boards. I haven't picked any of them up or anything, but I I know that he's doing something from the borrowing it from the windsurfing world that is. Hey, you make it structurally sound and then you add the weight as you need it then. Right. But if you can control both those elements independent of each other, then you're going to end up with something much more smart mm-hmm. and, instead of just this kind of like throwing it up against the wall and hoping it sticks old model of polyurethane with a stringer. Right. Which is nothing wrong with it. But I mean, if you want to advance things and if you want to find your edge, if you're a little kid trying to find your way in, you got you to gotta find those little, it's between the seams kind
0: of stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of what you searched out and found, right? Well, f- right now it's kind and of what's working. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: where I'm at now. Um, Justin, we, you and Stu Kenson talked about Justin Turnus and, Yeah, Justin Turnuses. He makes them look good. Like I can vacuum bag and sand and laminate and stuff, and I can make them really light. And But he makes them actually light and make them look good. So, right. yeah, I, he glasses my customs, and right. we just did a
0: carbon for Kai to try out, stuff like that. Stab Magazine put out a thing called the Surfer of the Year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it. Um, saw bits and pieces. They just announced the winner. They basically, they spoke to influencers in the surf industry. Uh-huh. And they asked them all to list their top five surfers. Oh, okay. And I think the number one, maybe one woman or something. Uh-huh. And, um, and so all these people did, the, you know, put in their um, results. And it ended up that uh, Idolo Ferrari was Ferrari, yeah. Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Was named the Surfer of the Year by mm-hmm. Stab Magazine, according to these peers, basically mm-hmm. these influencers. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is the Surfer of the Year? The Surfer of 2018. Yeah, huh, that's a good question. Um, God, I, I, I would say
1: John John because he got hurt. <laughs> really? <Explain laughs> yeah, I mean he did. He did the Molokai race as a team with his his buddy Cody uh, Johnson. I, I think he. I think it's uh, he, uh, Trent's nephew our son, Petey's nephew. I think that's who he partnered up with. But anyway, he he did the Molokai prone paddle race on a 12 foot stock with, with the team. Did really well. He's been sailing. He uh he did the Hobart race, right? Yeah. He's been yeah. doing all kinds of cool stuff. And so like to me, you know, I, I I guess maybe it's maybe I'm getting old or whatever. But I love seeing guys totally disrupt something like surfing by not even surfing, you know? And it's like, look, you know, because I think the surf world gets so wrapped up on itself and, and we think we're this and we think we're that We, Yeah. Oh, you really are. If you're a big fish in the surf world, you're all you are is a big fish in a really small pond.
0: You take one step out of surfing. And so the fact that John, John sort of upset the paradigm by not surfing, to me, he's the surfer of the year, which is fascinating. What a great it, yeah. Take well, you that's, have, Dan. That, for me. That's what that's what it's like,
1: you know. And I, you know, he's who knows what's really going on with uh, him personally. I don't know him, um, yeah. uh, it, but I, but I, I respect his ability to um, stay super engaged and super passionate about things like in the ocean. And ultimately, surfing's to me, it's it's getting in the water, you know, yeah. and, and you got to start with the water. Yeah. And uh, it, like if I don't surf, I'll get in the water for sure. And 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 it's and for him to ha- expand his horizons and knowledge of and understanding of the ocean as a surfer by sailing and by paddling, paddling
0: the Molokai's is hard, you know. You know, look at all the great surfers that were sailors, Joey yeah, Cabell. Joey Cabell yep. Mickey Munoz, yep. and I know there's. A litany of others yeah. that I don't even haven't yeah. even touched on. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's kind of a neat. Concept. It's intertwined.
1: Joe Quig, all those guys are super intertwined with, and I and someone was I just read something independent from surfing and water stuff, but it was it was something like you know in order to be say it was music, you know, in order to be a good musician, you have to be good at something else too, you know, yeah. really good and really in it like that cross pollination and the dance of the of your. Different experiences will make you better at what your real main emphasis is. You
0: know. I was going to suggest to you that because you Brent you brought him up, I think that Kai Lenny is the greatest surfer of 2018. Yeah, he probably that's when probably you look at right. What that's he's probably done, a better answer. Yeah. I mean, he, well, I, don't, I think your answer is fabulous. I yeah. don't think there is a right answer, yeah. which is why it's such a beautiful question, that's right? True, yeah. But Kai Lenny's right up there in my book for <sighs> just the stuff that he did do, and not necessarily just on a surfboard, but yep. as you know. These Just other little, parts of you know the foiling and everything. Yeah, I mean even in the last month, what he's done. You Just know. <laughs> last week, I don't know if you've seen the footage of him at Josh know, from yeah, last the weeks,
1: pieces. It's, it's crazy. You no, know? and, and 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 then <clears throat> and then you go back uh, to what I was saying, um, and apply it to a guy like Kai, who and how many different factors and variables he's bringing into his game, and uh, and it's it's. I mean that's crazy like kite the windsurfing the foiling and then the big wave surfing and
0: he's stand all stand up stand up he's one he, and he I think he probably no he did stand up uh, he st- he did the molokai standing up. He I had
1: think. the record for the stock uh, stand up for uh, at least one year that I know of. Yeah. I don't know, I don't follow it too, too much but yeah. yeah he he's
0: he's fast. Yeah. You know he's he's an athlete amongst elite athletes. I think they actually might have Stand up foiling across the all. He, well, he
1: did this year. Yeah, he did. He, yeah. he won that by a mile, but yeah. that wasn't ever really too question. I think in question. he was
0: finishing before they were even. Setting
1: oh, yeah. Up finishing no, by. he went by. I saw him go by and I was like, oh my God, there he goes. And I was like, Psh, you know, how did, how did of, you do? I did horribly this year. This uh, year I had a wrong coming, coming to Jesus. No, you know, I lost the eye of the tiger, I think, uh, this yeah. year. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I that race is, um, you're going up against Aussies. Yeah. They had it on lock. I think there's one Hawaii guy who finished in the top ten. Another, you know, where yeah. the Aussies just dominated it. They yeah. they're coming at it like gorillas, and uh, it means a lot to them because they're all sponsored from the Australian. Um, yeah, the clubbies, yeah. and so it means a lot more to them um, financially and ego wise and all that stuff. And I. I, you know, I've done, I've gotten fourth in that one. I've gotten seventh in that one, but man, this year I just crumbled. I, you know, it, was, it was the eye of the tiger focus yeah, and uh, determination. Yeah. I lost
0: it. Maybe next year where you your you a championship next year t-shirt. Next year. I'll, yeah. <laughs> so no matter what, you're <laughs> hey ready. check out my shirt. <laughs> no, next year I'll bring a
1: sale. There you go. <laughs> Are you into foiling? I have one and I love it, but I, I
0: suck at it. I'm horrible. What does that mean that you suck at it? Cause I, I don't just can't
1: su- get going. You can't, can I mean, I can get to
0: your feet. Yeah, but not for very long. Why the, do you think this is? Cause I'm trying to take a foiling, and I was hoping you were going to give me some. Great um, I think
1: one of my problems is well, the main problem is apparently you really want a like a one foot swell wave, like real soft. And I'm at the worst place for that. So. That's one thing. So I need to, I need to come up, you know, to, to where these guys are. I need to probably spend time with, you know. The you guys mean like do Dogpatch? Wherever, yeah. yeah. Where's the hotspot? I, I think know. it's Dogpatch. It's okay. San Onofre. That's okay. what I'm hearing. Yep. Yeah. So I probably should do that. And then the other thing I think that, like, Peter King, if you watch his Instagram, um, he, he he's very self-deprecating and hilarious on his Instagram. But he, uh, he has, it seems like he's riding a pretty big board. And, and it seems like he says that, that it, the way he's implying it, that there's a there's a crutch there, and my board's pretty small. Mm. So I, I probably should invest in just making my board And away. what kind
0: of foil do you have?
1: I have a Cloud9. Uh-huh. Paisel told me to get it. I said, okay.
0: Yeah, Cloud9, they've, they actually – Actually,
1: at your show last year in May, he said – And they
0: bought a booth for this year. Did they? Cool. Yeah. I, I yeah. ran into them at Surf Expo where killer. I saw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were there. Yeah, Cloud9 or, was there. yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of geeking out on no, I, I don't know why, but I think well, I think basically because re- self shamed me I know, me. <laughs> man. Talk about a
1: sales guy for foiling. He's like, Yeah, it's great. It's all the best part of surfing without the bad parts of surfing. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> I gotta I gotta get my head around, I gotta get my body around it more. You know, it's like, man, all of a sudden you fall and it's like, holy shit, what I don't even know what I did wrong. Like, and then you get a good one, you're like, Yeah, cool, I got it. Get the n- next wave, boom. Yeah, like you fall like splatter. You don't just like ah, oh, you know. Yeah. It's like splat, you know. Right, <laughs> and that's like a shocker. Yeah. Like, and I think a bigger board would help a little bit.
0: Yeah. And how big is your mass? I guess is what they say. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I I told the guy at Claude and I am all I'm I'm a super. I can make it as easy as possible. So I'm sure it's the easier one. Yeah. There's two sizes or something. Or three sizes, so, yeah. yeah. Baldy told me the longer one's the way to go. Okay, yeah. It's super weird, like, getting out through the surf. Like, you're – it's like – Kyle Laney posted a picture of him carrying one. I'm all oh, good. I'm, I commented. I'm all hey, – I'm glad you posted a picture on how the hell to walk with the thing. you know, right. Stuff like that. super funny. Yeah. But, but being in that zero – starting point of zero again on something new like that, I, I think that's key. Right. There's a lot of humility there. It's that
0: suffering that you talked about, you know?
1: Yeah. New nerves, new neuro connections.
0: Well, at some point in your career, you started working with Firewire. Mm -hmm. How how did that relationship come about?
1: That was a very serendipitous situation at the ASR in 2006, January show, right after Expo. I think it's January, it might've been February by then. Maybe I don't know how those worked, but, um, Dougal Walker was a former general manager of Billabong and had partnered up with Nev Hyman and Burt Berger. And they were making the rounds huge in the U S that early, early winter, they were at expo and they were going to every shop, hustling it. This new technology that Burt had developed that Nev had co-branded with him and Dougal had invested in. And, um, they were, getting some money together and they were going to make a big push because Clark had just happened. It was very, very unique time in a, any kind of industry. And so, uh, Mark price was working for reef at the time. I had a good friend that worked for reef, my good friend, Jake, he said, set up your booth as a mankind guy who I needed to start making a move and not depend on the contract glassing. Cause it was all dead. There's no blanks. Right. And so channel islands and rusty were sending no boards to us. And so I was like, okay, I need to, Start doing this EPS tech thing and I started going public with it. We'd been keeping it quiet, the carbon and all these different things. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the show and I'm going to show the world my awesome carbon and EPS. And I, I had a hot wire, I had a shaping machine, and I had a crew that knew how to work with epoxy. And I was, I felt like I was 20 years ahead of everybody and let's go. Yeah. And so I was at the show, and I was going to show that off. My friend's like, yeah, go be near us. So if you need a screwdriver or a drill or whatever, I can help you out. He set up the booth for Reef. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I was right next to him. And Dougal comes over and tries to get a meeting with Mark. Mark uh, said, he, I'll meet you in a couple hours. I'm busy right now. Dougal happens to take a left and go down the aisle back to his booth and stumbles into my booth. And he, we sat down, and we started John And Dougal is like, the slick Australian guy he's the most humble coolest guy but at the time he was in business mode you know yeah and I was like cautious and like what's he want <laughs> and then uh but he's like I'm I'm one of his biggest fans if not his biggest fan and he's a great guy and he um but anyway we we hit it off and and the next day he and never were at my shop and the about a couple days after that they were with mark and they hired mark or Sucker, to, you know, made some deal with him to get him away from Reef or whatever. How all that worked out, I don't know. And then a couple months later, I was in Australia learning from Bert and Nev what how they build the boards. And they ended up buying my Northwind glassing that spring in 06. Oh, wow. And so I, that closed so my- that's
0: where they set up shop for FireWire San USA Diego. was your thing. Yeah. That's fascinating. I always wondered where that was.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was right there. People
0: Because I was at the magazine and people go, yeah, they're doing FireWires in San Diego. Yeah. I was like, where?
1: Well, so it started out for the first like six months, we're right there. Was right, it kind of
0: hush-hush though? Like, kind of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not major, but it was, you know, yeah. we didn't advertise it at right. all. It, mostly because we didn't really know how to make them just so. Right. Ne- uh, Bert was making them insane but what we needed the, the pressure to scale it was so intense from the money dudes oh, i bet and so we that right away mark realized i wasn't the guy for like managing the crew that we were going to need we, we ended up hiring like 35 guys and moved the operation over to market street we were mm-hmm. over by the airport wow. my, my old shop and then we moved the operation in a few months like six months I don't even know how long. R- right away to this huge warehouse in s- southeast San Diego, mm. and uh, Mike Mike Milliken was hired by Mark because he was you know marketing guy. Yeah, right. well, and like a pit bull, like he, oh, he knew yeah. how to Milliken. He, right. Milliken, yeah, he right. knew how to manage crew for sure. And I was just like I was too nice or whatever Mark yeah. thought, and so it was fine with me. Yeah, and so I started kind of being the shaper guy at that point. But Nev was the highlighter. He was the rock star. Right at that moment. So that was, that took us through. And then they, they overspend and all these, you know, they, they it's no secret. Mark right. talks about it all the time. They overspent. And then the economy collapsed in 08, all these things happened. and, and, and there was and, a
0: falling out with Bert, right?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, Bert's one of these guys that man to man, you'd have the best time. He's the raddest He's a, dude. Cool guy. He's a great yeah. guy, yeah. but business wise, a guy, an eccentric classic dude like that with money, dudes, doesn't work, you know. Yeah. Those money guys were fierce, and they were they were hardcore. You know, yeah. they weren't messing around. They, they weren't were he- combing
0: through the spreadsheet. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't having
1: here to have fun. And, right. And uh, and Mark could bridge that gap for guys like yeah. eccentric. He knew how to work with eccentric people. Yeah, like he does with Daniel and me. And I'm not that eccentric, but it, like those kind. Of, well, like, you, I mean, you eat it in and out. So. Yeah, yeah, pretty wild. <laughs> uh But yeah, so that Mark. Can do that kind of stuff, but at that time and space, it wasn't happening. So poor Bert ended up parting ways. Yeah, yeah. but I think he's—I think he's happy now. I don't know. Well, oh, he's doing Sonova, right? And that's doing well for him. They're cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. All... So
0: so um, let's try to fast forward a little bit mm-hmm. to because what's fascinating to me is always bringing Kelly into this equation, yeah, and into this conversation, like I did with Daniel a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Mm and um, so what's that like when you find out hey kelly slater's on board with firewire i mean i, I mean he's an investor he's going to be yeah. a, like what was what was, that going was through a big you deal. emotionally like what? well so i
1: i uh, i made a couple prototypes of this really funky board i was making and i vacuum bagged them and we showed them off as like kind of look at our spectrum of what we can do kind of a thing as as, uh, these were these side cut boards that I was and I vacuum bagged them and Uh made them pretty cool looking and um like side cut fishes or no four fish yeah yeah round close tail round tails I think Uh, I
0: remember these right yeah
1: Yeah. probably yeah yeah they're cool so we you know I'm sure they everyone was throwing everything from the Firewire side at Kelly to make us look as sweet as we possibly could. He already was familiar. I mean, when we were my first trip in Australia, Dougal and Nev had him over, we, we all ate dinner together and it was like, he'd been familiar with Firewire the whole time. Yeah. He wasn't no, nobody. No. He's nobody's fool on yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, to me, I, I, I knew the rockstar at that time, it was no longer Nev. It was Tomo. It was it was Daniel. And I was like, okay, so I'm definitely going to be second fiddle to that, which I was cool with. And uh, and so and, and I was um, clearly told not don't talk to Kelly because he's focusing on the Quickie Pro. It's coming up. Uh, I was in Australia at the same time. Yeah, Daniel was there. Kelly was there. And this is that year that he rode. Daniel's
0: board and in in yeah, the heat, in the, yeah,
1: but the there was no waves. There's through. no surf. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so they, they, they were, they cl- right away linked up and yeah. I was like being a good little boy, I should keep my mouth shut and not talking. Yeah. But then we ended up talking a little bit about this round tail and he, he was looking at my board and it was a, a design I did for firewire called unibrow. And it was, had more of a traditional straightforward round tail. Yeah. With a little tip on the end. And, uh, and we had one quick conversation about it, and, and that was it. It was really quick and casual and um, whatever. And I quickly was like, just don't get too excited about it, you know, whatever. And then in July, I was getting ready for the Molokai race, and they called me, hey, come in
2: tomorrow. I was on
1: Maui. Come in tomorrow and bring your shaping gear. And You mean over here in Carlsbad? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm in Hawaii. I, I got this race coming up in four or five days. I, I can be there, you know, next week. And so I finally did that. Did you know why they had called you to come over? Yeah, to make Kelly boards.
0: And you're like, I'm doing Molokai. I'm like, cool.
1: You know, I was so stoked, but I'm like, ah, you know, I'm already out here.
0: I've already spent tons of dough. That's the problem. with Molokai races. But was it a situation where Kelly wasn't going to be available the following week? And I don't know if he
1: was coming to town or what. But they, for some reason, there was some urgency. But that's how it
0: always is, you know.
1: And uh, I was like, no, I'm. I'll do it next week, though. And I held my line with that. And so I make him the boards, and I uh, made three: one squash and two round tails. And uh, and you know they're for Kelly. Yep,
0: but Kelly's not in the shaping no, room with you. Not okay. at that point. He was getting why, ready. Why do you think he was reaching out? For-
1: it was through Travis, Trav Lee. Okay, and so and Trav knew me. i had been doing. I worked with him at when I was doing contract for right. Channel Island. Right. And then he knew. You know, he could yeah. he could bridge the gap of for language. Sure. And I knew right when I got the call, I knew exactly what I was going to make, Kelly. I, I'm right. like, pff, done, you know. Yeah. I, and uh, it was going to be mostly done on the computer, but then I was going to hand finish it. Yeah. And I did that, and I was super pumped on the board, sent them out, they got glassed, and then pff, it went silent. And then Travis kind of mentions a couple months later, yeah, he rode the squash, but he didn't like it. And he looked funny on it. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. So two years go by, and I'm like, I... You know, was like, whatever, I got to go on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, out of nowhere, um, well, Kelly and I just ran into each other at, at, oh, no, no, I I guess it was prearranged kind of through Travis, but we were both at fire at the same time. And he's just like, hey, you know, hey, Holly. And I'm like, hey, go, we go, and we're talking a little bit. And he's just like, yeah, this board's insane. And then he pulls out the round tail. And so we started talking about the round tail and how that whole story goes and, and uh, his buddy, Dave Spears wrote it and it's, it's too big for me, but you're going to love it. He's all nah. He's all, he was borrowing it. They were out surfing together and Kelly was like, nah, so he kept riding it. And he's all, no, you're going to really like this thing. He shot it over to him, finally convinced him to try it. And Kelly hops on it. And he's just like, Oh my God, this thing's insane. And he wrote it that that was two weeks before J Bay, the famous J Bay when he broke his foot. Yeah, So he, um, surfed it at lowers, took it to J Bay. First heat. If he was killing it, uh, it was ridiculous. He was surfing so it, good. it was so, it was the highlight of my surfing world, you know, yes. shaping career. I was so pumped. And then, uh, and then he snaps his foot and I was like, Oh, you know, so we texted a little bit and found out he wasn't on my board when he broke his foot. So I was a little weird, uh, happiness that relief and not happiness, relief that it wasn't <laughs> my board. <laughs> Because for sure that would have gone through the tree mulcher if it was, and uh, so anyway, you were ecstatic. I was like, whew, at least it wasn't my board, and um, yeah. So then and then he he's been riding it. He rode it at the Founders Cup, the, and then the Hurley W. event. and he's been riding in on a lot of a lot of different venues and different things, and rode it again this last J Bay, different different uh, version of the
0: same board, but uh-huh. yeah, cool, and it's called the FRK the FRK. freak. Yeah, a freak. Yeah. Yep. And that's your design. Yeah, with a Slater design logo on it. Yeah. Right. And and that's when he rode at the WSL Wave Ranch event. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, cool. this most recent one, he there was a post he did a couple days ago right before
1: uh probably about a week ago of his backside snap. There's there's some footage oh, that'll be yeah. coming out.
0: Yeah. I mean the one at, at the secret spot. <laughs> yeah, the secret the spot. The secret left it. it. Yeah. <laughs> like like it's like West Turtle Bay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, are those boards straight off the rack from Firewire, or are those boards that you now custom? So make for we Kelly? do both. He rides a
1: lot of the just straight off out of Thailand, yeah, stock boards. Yeah, uh but he does
0: a ton of just um customs made here because he has the ability to do that now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's hunt. I mean, I know he's hunting down a twelfth world title. I- I'm not yeah. doubting that, but it mm-hmm. seems like he's Has a little bit more liberty than he might have had when he was, you know, only had six world titles and was, Yeah, you know, as far as like staying true to one design to make sure that I'm tuned into that board throughout the competitive year. Uh, Yeah. I
1: think, I think there's probably two or three board designs that he'll go to like, and hopefully it's still this round tail. Um, And it has been for the last couple of years, ever since he, ever since then he's went like, at the founders cup in a clutch moment he went back to it at the wsl event he went back to it and and that's a you know it's a pretty good indication that okay it's at least one of the boards he would go to the gamma he goes to a lot yeah and soft surf too squash tail and and he'll you know f- for me to lay any claim on anything what would that yeah. to be able to predict i have no idea but like there there's is, there is some comfort for me knowing that he, he we're in the ballpark of what he would go to as a stable constant in right. in, in the board. And it, and I to be honest, I think the board's just uh hopefully my best interpretation of what I've seen him surf best on. Right. In the years and cool. since, you know, early 2000s.
0: Yeah. And and do you uh, I mean, do you get calls or te- I mean, I imagine you get texts from him occasionally They're like hey let's do this little tweak to the round tail mm-hmm. to the FRK. Mm-hmm. Let's do it to like, do you get that kind of?
1: Yeah. 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 Every once in a while, there'll be a random text, um, like cup, uh, like right before the pipe he called and we had a super long, um, conversation about guns. And, uh, we did this one swallowtail variation. We did we, that. He wanted to try, um, with this three step rocker. He calls it kind of concept. He's got all these, uh, very interesting, intricate, feelings that right. he's trying to uh, uh put a pinpoint on and i and i'm i'm going that's cool you can nail those through the shape but you also gotta can't forget the material and like because he's been on carbons too and he's been on all these different techs. he rides the firewire tech you know yeah. there's there's all kinds of crazy
0: you know sort of um so th- three step so that'd be like or, a single it's like three different planing areas that are very there aren't there's not a continuous curve right. it's
1: On a on a slower, fatter wave, he's saying almost like three gears. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then and you know you're get you're up and you're skating ta 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 ta. And then all of a sudden you now you got your speed and you can you know fit fit that board into a tighter curve. That's a smaller wave, with uh you know without the aid of of a wave that's providing you with all the speed that you need and actually need to bleed off of. You know it's those kinds of
0: refinements. There was an event that he won on a on a Firewire surfboard. The um it was a Slater design surfboard. Mm-hmm. And it was the Billabong Pro at Chopu. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was a I think that was a Gamma. Was a, I think it was a Weber. Remember? Oh that's Remember right. That was Weber? you're right. That f- like very rockered out mm-hmm. sort of they called 19- it the banana. Yeah, the banana. It was like mm-hmm. a nineteen ninety-three model. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know, obviously upgraded and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whatever became of that model or that concept? Does he kind of ever like refer to that and go, you know, like the Weber, the banana, but let's do this? You know, like yeah, let's, that was a pretty out there design. Yeah, and
1: I think the marketplace, like I did, I've done a couple with FireWire that were out there, and the market just doesn't accept yeah, we, it, even yeah. if we're, they're insane. Right, and so it was a, it was, I guess, it was commercially, it was just too far out yeah but he likes it and he liked it in certain things so what came of it commercially is w- one story but uh, the impact it leaves on him as an understanding of how the equipment works is still profound like he 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 talks about weber and he references things that weber says and and uh, weber's understanding and explanation on why boards are working mm-hmm. kelly references all the time uh, interesting. yeah cool. or at least he has to me right you know Few times fascinating, yeah,
0: yeah. Now, Weber's high on his list, seems like it's funny because of the wave pool, you know, that there's like a Weber technology, and then there's a guy yeah. where, where you would think that they would be I don't know if rivals is the right word, but certainly, um, trying to kind of run down the same track and get to the finish line first. Yeah, I don't
1: really know, I've never talked to Kelly about that kind of a thing, but I think Kelly's for the most part on that kind of a thing, he's just like, um. You know, all information is good information. Yeah, Yeah, especially with something as new as the wave pool. It's like let's let's just get this technology down the road. And if he capitalizes, cool. But the main thing is to move
0: things forward and
1: provide a venue for him to win on. That's probably his most interesting thing to him is a rad venue to compete. Yeah, that's what he's into. Yeah, seems like.
0: What is Dan Mann's current? Uh, daily driver for the winter time like what's in the back of your truck i right? have that
1: weird side cut thing really <laughs> yeah oh yeah what, what do you call insane. that again well so i call it the game hen the game hen yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 then, then, then but that's no, what I mean. it'll for, forever be known as <laughs> <laughs> but firewire that was one of the boards i was talking about because we yeah. did a cornice
0: that's right yeah. the cornice is mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. name that yeah, for, yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah and it was a t- flop commercially yeah. but people who would get on it and give it a shot, there's a guy in Hawaii, it freaks on him. And there's guys who go out and buy them off Craigslist or whatever and collect them because they love them. Yeah, they're in yeah. But so there's something going on there. I, I don't know exactly you know, what's going on uh, in terms of um, how it'll evolve. But I, I do know that like there's what we all have thought traditionally as shapers is, in order to have a responsive tail, it has to be this way or that way and it's, it kind of throws mud in the face of all of that and right. it's splitting the board lengthwise in half um, so that you tip over you first of all, you between your feet, it's super narrow. it's, yeah. it's like for me, a, a narrow shortboard like my FRK is like 19 and a quarter. I'm a bigger guy and I would need 32 liters or so on a board like that. In six, one, i I'd make it like 19 and quarter, nineteen three eight. So that's a narrow board for me. On these, it's like 18 and a half. And so I have that extra half inch on one side tip. And so so that tip, the nose is basically out of the equation when you're bottom turning. Right. I have this super narrow point between my feet that allows me to tip the board over really quickly. And then I have this funky tail that has the quad. And if we learn anything from the potatoes, the sweet potato, baked potato, all those kinds of Groveler boards is when you put a four fin setup on those with a spline double barrel concave through the middle, it forces the water up over onto those two side fins. And so you, you essentially cut the board in half lengthwise. So you have this crazy ability to tip this wide tail over versus the old pintail concept of with a single fin or a thruster or whatever. You need a narrow tail to to be able to tip it over, mm-hmm. and this is using a different set of uh, dynamics that allow you to tip it over real responsibly. So you look at it; it's a wide tail with this weird skinny area in the middle, but and you go, you're never going to be able to tip that over because it's too wide of a tail. But that's not the case; it's it's counterintuitive. Right. So that's so I'm playing with that. I keep going with that. I love that board. I love the different. Do you surf good on that board, Dan? I rip on that <laughs> board. <laughs> No, but like yesterday, we we surfed this that secret spot that south good. of the La Jolla. Yeah, it Pier. was super good, and uh, and it was like you, you're you that tail sits up on the foam ball. The foam ball doesn't get around and sink it, you oh, know. So you get you stay deeper in the barrel. My buddy Chris rides it, and he was you know one that I was like, nah, he's super deep, but he's gonna make it. So yeah.
0: huh. those kinds of Chris Russell,
1: thing. yeah, Chris Russell. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, well, you guys are both exceptional surfers, but an average guy like me, I can ride this thing. And uh, well, so eight, you 18 inches in the middle just seems crazy way too narrow. But you
1: have the stability, especially with the new bottom contours, where it before those boards you had to be on the tip of the tail, back of your stop pad, and pushing hard the whole time. Right now, it's gotten some refinements that made that a little more user friendly. But you'd, you'd have to put in a day or two on good oh, surf, right. but oh, yeah. you, you, I think. That's the big question, though. Like commercially, will it ever get there? I don't know. Yeah. But for me personally, man, it's it's so much fun. But I I I do always have a Chumley. That's not just a commercial for the Chumley for Fire. I always have one of those in my car. Yeah. And then I, I have an FRK, but I I almost always go to that side cut thing. Wow. Yeah. And then um, six one. No, the side cut is um, five nine and a half. And how many liters? Thirty two. 33, okay. 33 33 okay wow. and my short 6-1 yeah, yeah and okay. that that i for me these days to get excited about that it sure has to be really exciting and good yeah. you
0: know yeah wow so interesting yeah the game head. the game head <laughs> <laughs> do you believe in god uh that's a good question
1: i i i think you can call i do believe in something so if you believe in the big bang this is my latest thinking and uh it's always a work in progress. I think it's going to change with time and space. But uh, my latest thinking on that issue, first of all, it demands and commands a lot of attention because loads of people talk about it and think
0: about it. The world around, not
1: just, you know. Do
0: you think that every single human being has at one point in their life thought about it?
1: In some form. And, and uh, that form changes so dramatically based on the culture where you are. Like luckily I've been able to travel a little bit. You go to Sri Lanka and it looks very different through the eyes of a Sri Lankan than it does from a Beverly Hills guy, you know, cruising around a Ferrari. So, but I think the concept of eternity and, and this constant expansion of time and space has come across someone's mind in some way. So like bringing it back to like, do you believe in God? Well, if you believe in the big bang or some sort of starting point for all light and all matter, there had to have been some form of starting point. And so Einstein and all those guys, so smart, smarter dudes than me say, it's the big bang. All right, cool. If we're going to just agree with that, whether it's right or wrong, let's just agree with that for the sake of the argument. If that's the beginning of everything that we know, the big bang, then we're all just some form of, of that, which is light and matter. I heard it explained by this physicist. Essentially, everything that's come from the Big Bang can be boiled down to, in its essence, light or matter. And some people would add love. So if if in some, whatever the life force or the energy force or the light force or matter force that created the Big Bang, that created all the planets and stars and this ever expansion that we're in right now, it, whatever that force was, is something you know, and, and an atheist would say it's this, or uh, you know, an existentialist. I just looked that up yesterday. Uh, you use which, it well, <laughs> thank you. They would say, you know, it's that, or whatever. It's just like how a higher power. It's just, well, those guys would say it's just you're just you're just you're sitting on a you know, you're just on for the ride, you, you don't have any control over it. And to some extent, I think that's true. But to some extent, I I don't know how true that is. And so, to answer your question, if you want to say God is some form of light or matter, yeah, for sure, because it's it's everything. Do you pray to this? Um, no, I pray to like my my internal rep, sort of my internal um, representative of that piece of light or that piece of matter Mm -hmm. and hopefully love like Mm -hmm. to me um i just try to get real familiar with whatever that is in me and i try to understand that and pinpoint what that is because ultimately for me there's just so much outside of that that you almost can never really fully control and 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 it doesn't do you any good to try to control it and you you're and, and so the more you can just kind of uh, bob and groove with it all, uh, one book that was really helpful for me that I read a few months ago was uh, The Four Agreements. And, he, and, and basically, you know, it's a great book. Check it out. But he says, um, uh, speak impeccably. You, use your impeccable word. And like in, in in, by word, he means uh, use impeccable word by, like, your effort, your, int, your, your intention. And then that's one. Number two is don't take anything personally, good or bad. Like, you know, the Kelly thing's great. But if I get too excited about that, it's going to kick my ass. And so, cool. It's awesome. It's a great thing. Tribute to – I worked really hard and for 20 years or whatever. And and I finally achieved this level of recognition. Cool. But, you know, don't take it on too much. Don't get I mean, too excited. You don't want it to own
0: rule, your identity. Rule
1: you, Right. <clears throat> People can identify you that way, but that's them. Right. You don't want to do that. Yeah. I. Yeah. And so that. So don't take any good or bad personally. Um. And then the other one is don't assume anything. And then the fourth one is is um, always try your hardest. And so for me, I I, I can try hard. My dad taught me that. My mom taught me that. I, I'm always trying hard. For the most part. Yeah. I am I try really hard to be impeccable with my word. That was something I it made an impact on me when I was young. I understood that. I, I try that. But two and three, taking things personally and being uh, not assuming right. are things that, man, like drive down the freeway and try to not take something personal or don't assume. Right. And right. it's like, holy shit, you can really get yourself into a... Um, a really good internal conversation of pinpointing what you're blowing it on in the in the regards of taking something personal or assuming, and if you let those two things go, like I'm finding a lot of relief, a lot of like freedom in the ability to if I don't take something personally, if I don't take if I don't assume something, like if someone cuts me on and I assume that they think they're cooler than me because I'm driving an 05 Toyota Sienna and they're driving a you know Ferrari, then they, they might be a they little might little.
0: think. They, <laughs> I think they got us.
1: I know. <laughs> and so that, that would be, that would be something. I can't assume that the guy's a kook cause he can't fit a board in his Ferrari. You're a kook, right. you know? And, and I can't assume that, you right. know? And so by not even having the wonder of assuming whatever that person is or not, you know, whatever, by not, you free up your mind, you free up your ability to think about cool shapes. You think about cool ways of paddling a paddleboard faster or, or making a paddleboard that goes faster. You know, you, or,
0: or even more, you know. Those middle two are real judgment things, aren't mm-hmm. they? Like when we sit in judgment either of what they think of us or what we think of them, then we lose sort of sight of one in four. Exactly. And one and four become way more difficult.
1: Do you meditate? I do a breathing exercise uh, every morning. And yeah. I do that every day. And it also does stretching and push-ups. And
0: it gets. What is your physical. breathing exercise into It's
1: actually um, – it's rooted – it's from the Wim Hof method is is what popular – it's become popular. But that was rooted if you uh, – luckily, I found it soon enough that I was able to trace. It's branded and kind of been compartmentalized. It's really a good, a good thing to do. But he got his breathing method from a yoga called Tumo Yoga, mm. and it's an old Tibetan deal – I, that I barely re- could read the book about, but yeah. it was it, it was about these guys, these monks up in the Himalayan or the, like the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, that would, as part of their becoming a monk, training, they'd get up at four in the morning, with no clothes on, go down to the river, dunk their blanket into the river, and they breathe, and this is totally possible. I know it sounds woo woo, but they put the blanket on wet, freezing cold, like yeah. Freezing, but no, no, cold, and, and they're breathing and breathing. They, you can generate so much warmth in your body and so much heat. You can dry that blanket. So I, I can't. They, can. all right, all right. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I try to use their method to at least be able to hold a straight line throughout the day. But that, but essentially, what Wim's done is he's done three sets of thirty breaths. You hold your exhale as long as you can, and then you hold your inhale as long as you can, and you do another set. Mm. And to me, that's great. Like, perfect place to start. But, like, I would advise as best you can, if anyone was going to keep going with it, to have your own intuition tell you how to do that. Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's 10. Maybe it's 100. Maybe it's 300 breaths. So, have your own intuition.
0: You do do 30, like, deep breaths, and the first one you hold. So, after you're done, 29, uh exhale,
1: take a deep breath, 30, and then exhale, and then hold it. And just sit there you with it. Do three sets up. of that. Yeah. Interesting. And so, to and answer the that question. That's your meditation. Well, so only through those that kind of breathing has I have I ever been able to be in a state of mind where I think I'm meditating. Right. As a you know, guy, you know. Pretty new to that whole world of meditation and transcendental yeah, stuff, woo-woo yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, I, to me, I had to have some physicality to it. I had to like really believe and understand that there was something else going on that I can feel and touch and see. And so through meditation, like I I went to yoga. Like my, my back thing was real, man. I went yeah. to a whole. I went to seven doctors. Four of them were chiropractors. They all none of them helped me. Yeah. The only thing that helped was yoga. And then yoga led to this breathing. Mm-hmm. And now this breathing thing is like, oh, maybe I am meditating.
0: So to answer your question, that's the cool. way. That's cool. Yeah. I think that your next surfboard model should be called the woo-woo. Woo-woo. Yes. Because- <laughs> I'm kind of I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> Not to be too woo woo, but what do you know about Wayne Lynch? Wayne Lynch, uh, only a little bit actually through uh,
1: Rusty. Mm-hmm. When Rusty was doing the Wayne Lynch boards, yeah, um, I worked at the Rusty boardhouse for a while, oh, and cool. uh, uh, Rusty hired me. To, it, the shop right down in downtown La Jolla, mm-hmm. and uh, the Wayne Lynch and music brand, yeah. But Wayne Lynch is the boards were insane. They're you know I think
0: Terry Goldsmith was shaping those. Terry,
1: wasn't. I th- yeah definitely Terry. Was he doing them all? I don't know, but I rode one that Terry made, and I um, loved it. Terry was. He talk about influential people, all those guys, Hoy, Terry, and um, Mike Russo. Those guys were awesome for me at Rusty. Yeah, they were know. all very helpful, but Terry was, he was one of those guys that kept it all on like, Hey, yeah, uh, you know, we're making surfboards here. Let's, let's let's do a really good job. Let's try really hard. Let's innovate, but let's keep it all in perspective. You know? right. but, <laughs> we're not, but yeah, moon, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So Wayne Lynch, like, and then I since then have read a Surfer's Journal article about him, about how punk rock he was. And God, I love that. I mean, the more I tell my kids, you know, when you see the masses heading in one direction, just all you I would recommend for you to do is turn 180 degrees and head the other way as best you can wow. and without, without disrupting anyone or hurting right. anything. That's great but advice. Yeah. I might take that advice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wayne <laughs> seems to do it inherently
0: <laughs> instinctively. Well, we're honoring Wayne this year at the yeah, program show, which I is know. why I was wondering what your thoughts are on him. No, too. I cool. think it's brilliant.
1: Cool. I, I, especially in this, these times where everyone there's so much information there's so, and you know what, if you can just find someone who's sort of an, uh, someone you can identify as going completely against the grain. Yeah. And walking his own path. It seems like, you know, the surf board part of it and the surfing, his surfing is unreal. So that's all great, but that's just a that's just bait to get people to look at his more important messages, which is yeah, probably the FU to the systems of the world, you know. Yeah. So I like that.
0: Cool. Well, Dan man, what have we what have we missed? anything? You got a nice list there, man. It's all I've, typed out. I've there. talked about everything I think, but I'm just wondering: Is have we missed anything? <laughs> no, we've talked about a lot. We uh, we talked talk about phones. Should more...
1: we talk about phones? That's one of my other did what, what, what it? the
0: iPhone and the, sure, what's the up addictiveness with the of them and all that stuff? You know what? There's this. Um, there's this interesting. Do you listen to Joe Rogan?
1: No, <laughs> oh, as much as I can. Okay, yeah. so did
0: you hear the Jonathan Haidt one? Uh, no, oh, the most you... recent one. No, it's like maybe two back. Yep. This guy wrote it's a book recent. called I, saw, the, I have it downloaded. By yeah, now. you should listen to it because he goes into all of that. Okay. It's called The Coddling of the Generation or The Coddling yeah. of Our Children, The yep. Lost Generation or yeah, something. Yeah, everyone like
1: that. gets a trophy generation. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: He totally goes into all of this. Yep. It's really fascinating. See, and I, I really
1: think there's a, you know, going back to the suffering thing, I, you know, I just think that, a hey, you know,
0: there's phones a, are lame.
1: Well, no. So the phone <laughs> thing. Well, one of the most important things. There's um, what's his name? Um, I think Sam Harris interviewed a guy. Um, and and Sam Harris is a little too polished for me. But the guy who was on there was a Facebook executive or or software engineer type guy mm-hmm. that had uh, left it, and he was talking so he he's he's uh, writing articles, and his whole mission in life is to expose how, hey, the technology is not a neutral thing. It's not designed for you to do with what you want. It's designed to make you addicted to it. Yeah. He said, flat out, there's thousands and thousands of people working for these companies that are trying to get you to stay on the device. It's the new cigarette. It's the new cigarette. And it took 48 years from now from now – where the cigarette companies are having to admit legally that they added nicotine on purpose from 72 or 70. When the surgeon general said it's addicting and causes cancer, it took them 48 years to have a come into Jesus moment. Cigarette companies finally did that. So how much longer is it going to be before phone companies and technology companies? Hey, that's fine. I'm all for it. I use it. I'm on Instagram, all that stuff, but you 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 have to have your especially your kids and your your yourself pick it up and know, okay, this thing is designed to keep me on here. It's not designed for me to just be sweet or make a phone call. It's designed it has a lot more layers behind it. And so these guys talk they say it way better and they're way right. more informed about the details of all that stuff, but it's it's insane. Like yeah. and what it's doing to us physically, emotionally, cellularly. It's, yeah. it's a profound thing and it's it's a really interesting note I need working. a hit right now I, I need know. a little ser- serotonin yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> dopamine yeah go check out some likes that you just got <laughs> I'm gonna like something right now <laughs> and, and then follow somebody's Instagram <laughs> follow somebody and hopefully they'll follow you back get a little hit oh and that's God. what it is I mean it's this? literally dopamine's yeah. the same drug is cocaine and all that kind of and So, yeah. and that's fine. Like I'm all for legalization of whatever the hell you want to do. I'm totally up for that independent thing, but you got to be informed on it. Yeah. So, and, and how old are your children now? They're- 17 and 15. Okay. So they already have phones. So and- was, no, but no. they went full circle. We fought it, fought it, fought it. And then finally,
0: um, caved, <laughs> go ahead. finally caved
1: and said, it's up to you. They got them. And then my son went full circle. Now he's on a flip phone.
0: That's so cool. I am yeah. so stoked. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I know my son talks about it a lot. He's, and, and he's he speaks about it the way you do. Uh-huh. Even though he's involved with his phone, he's like, Dad, these things are evil. Dude. Yeah, and, yeah. Like he talks to me about how evil cool. they are. Yeah, so –
1: So they probably are going to be intuitively more dialed in than we are as people trusting – new products oh they they say it's this okay cool i'll just grab it and whatever it's okay yeah. but these kids are probably sensing intuitively that there's something amiss yeah that's what i'm
0: thinking hoping you should check out that joe rogan podcast okay i'm, I'm gonna it. say it's professor jonathan height i which saw it h-a-i-d-t D-T, I yeah yep. fascinating I, conversation i'm on that for sure how do people get a hold of Dan man, if they want to oh, order a inst- custom surfboard. Oh, custom surf. Yeah, Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> yeah, direct message. <laughs> the phone?
1: Yeah, the phone. Direct me. But I'll quickly send you over to my uh email. All right. God, that's the thing, man. You get you got board orders coming in through your text, your friends saying, Hey, give me another six one as they pass by you on the, you know, at the beach. And then you're like, Okay. And it's you know, <laughs> your friend for thirty years, like, you gotta get him his board. Yeah. You have this like Societal obligation. Oh, you're a customer service animals. <laughs> yeah. It? No, I gave that up. You should just go, you want to, woo woo. Now it's like,
0: no customer service. It's six months. It's super expensive. <laughs> right. That's that's sort of a, a marketing ploy, isn't it? Yeah. Especially so, here yeah, in San du- Diego. <laughs> exactly.
1: So direct messages, I'll kick you straight over to my email. All right. Yeah. Cool. And it's um, Dan underscore underscore man, I think.
0: Oh, that's your Insta? Yeah. But it was Mankind. My,
1: well, that was a big marketing quandary I had yeah. there. Scott, I right. didn't know if I should go with Mankind or Dan Men And right. I met with my staff of zero and came right. up with, just stick with Those Dan Those guys Mann. are smart. Yeah, they're smart. All, all zero. zero. All yeah.
0: All <laughs> right. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for having me, yeah, man. It's I a true honor.
1: It. I think we did one like in 06. We did something.
0: Oh, maybe. You were like early on these podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It was, I was into it. Really- what was that called? is that at surfer magazine or was that down in san diego i think it's san diego that was called um i could have been down the line surf talk radio that's what it was was on extra sports 13 that's what it was yeah yeah it just flows right out like i said look at you yeah yeah yeah, no
1: that was i remember i was remembering that i'm like wait we've done this before so cool yeah yeah yeah. thanks for having me yeah i really appreciate it yeah this will be good
0: it was a great conversation good thank you all right no worries